Here at Michigan Family Wellness, we believe chiropractic care and nutritional-based therapies are a foundational part of a healthy family lifestyle. No matter where you're at in the mitten, having a family is such an exciting time of life. So instead of feeling overwhelmed by stress, fatigue, and responsibilities with the kids, we invite you to become part of this empowering community to create happy, healthy families. By providing engaging interviews and practical applications, Dr. Wallner cultivates family health by equipping our listeners with the tools they need to elevate wellness in their own family. Dr. Wallner passionately serves the Michigan community at his chiropractic and nutrition-based practice, where he specializes in pregnancy, pediatrics, and family wellness care. And now, here's your host, Dr. Kyle Wallner. Good day, families, and welcome home. That's right, my name is Dr. Kyle, and this is the Empowering MFW Family, and we are so glad to be with you today. If you are joining us for the first time, I want to thank you for tuning in. The health of you and your family is your number one priority. It is your greatest asset. The best way to have a healthy family is by living a family wellness lifestyle. So if you're looking for efficient, effective, and sustainable ways to elevate your health and the health of your family, then I strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable because we have an amazing show for you today. Bill Shaddle has expertise in taking complex nutritional topics and explaining them in clear, easy to understand ways. He has developed workshops and training programs on dozens of different health and nutritional topics and is co-author of the acclaimed Nutrition Masters course series. Bill is currently the Senior Director of Strategic Development for Metagenics, where he uses his background and knowledge to help translate science into practical application for the healthcare practitioner. All right, families, let's welcome Bill. Well, welcome, families. My name is Dr. Kyle. We're coming to you live from the Michigan Family Wellness Clinic today, and our guest on the show today is Bill Shadow. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. It's so great to have you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Waller. I'm really looking forward to this. Brilliant. So, Bill, as you know, this is the Michigan Family Wellness Podcast. I always ask our guests two questions. First of all, tell us a little bit of what family looks like for you. Um, that's a good question. I put it on two levels. The first family is my own immediate family, which is my wife and I and our dog. We don't have kids. We treat our dog as if she were a family member, which is kind of pathetic. I know that, but I do it anyway. <laughs> And then the second is a broader family, which includes uh, uh, my friends and, and acquaintances within the functional medicine community. Yes. That's a very broad family, and, and I do think of them very much as family. <clears throat> I'm so glad you mentioned that and brought that up. First of all, thank you for sharing about uh, your own family there. But then that's how we got connected. I heard you speak at a seminar. Gosh, it feels like over a year ago now, and I'm just so thankful and grateful to have you on the podcast today to well, talk thank about you. Yes, to talk about our microbiomes. But before we get there, tell us real quick, what do you love about the state of Michigan? <laughs> well, I grew up in Illinois. I live in California now, and I confess that I really miss the Midwestern, several things about Midwest. And, and right now, it's early April, and you guys are just coming out of a, of a winter. But mm -hmm. I have to say that I miss the seasonal changes. I miss when spring starts to appear. I miss when, um, uh, you know, the first snowfall turns everything beautiful and pristine and white. Uh, I miss the, the summers and falls when the trees change. And Michigan absolutely represents that for me. I've spent a lot of time in Michigan and I just love the state. Awesome. Brilliant. Love it. Thanks so much again, Bill. You know, we, we could talk all day about California. I was just out there in San Francisco and 
And that was beautiful. So, but hey, let's actually jump in and get into our meat and potatoes conversation for today. As we were talking about in our pre-chat, this can really go down several different rabbit holes, but let's try to contextualize this for people. So what we're talking about today, families, is the microbiome. So the diversification or perhaps lack thereof, the quality of the gut microbes that are in our gut. We know from the literature that we have over 100 trillion bacterial cells. And as components of that, there are the good bugs, if you will. There's also the bad bugs. And so, you know, Bill, can you just kind of start off with perhaps maybe just like an overview of the functions? You know, we were talking about digestive, immune, and, you know, all these different things that neurotransmitters, the gut-brain axis. So let's just kind of start there. Okay. Well, first of all, the uh, the 60,000-foot the view, if you will. Yes. Um, I've been in the the field of functional medicine for a long time, most of my adult career, in fact. And uh, it wasn't all that long ago in my living memory that um, most gastroenterologists looked at the GI tract as as the repository of waste materials, the lower GI, I'm talking about the bowel now, as the the storage area of waste materials and on its its way out of the body. Um, And the bacteria that lived there were just there. And at best, they were neutral, and at worst, they were potential threats to our existence and to our health. And that has been almost a 180-degree turnaround since that time in the past uh, probably 10 to 15 years, maybe 20, as more and more people begin to study the microbiome, which is defined as the bacteria that live in us and on us, and particularly the gastrointestinal microbiome, which is the bugs that live in our digestive tract. And your statistic is, is kind of staggering when you think about it because there's, mm-hmm. there's many more of those bacterial cells than there are cells in our body. And in fact, um, if you, one, of the, one of the perspectives that's gaining ground now is to consider the microbiome not as, a, uh, uh, not as just a colony of bacteria, but a, actually as part of and the necessary and important part of our existence. Mm-hmm. Now, rather than looking at us as discrete from the microbiome, scientists are beginning to think that the microbiome actually makes up part of our existence and we should be viewed as a composite of us and all of our host cells, the cells that we were born with, and then the bacteria and their own DNA. And if you look at it like that, mm-hmm. 99% of the DNA that has an impact on our bodies and our existence and our health. comes from these bacteria. So the the belief that these bacteria just are there and that um, they don't really matter one way or another is is almost completely wrong. And interestingly, one of the first people to draw attention to that was a researcher at the University of Illinois named Abigail uh, Salyers. And and her, um, her interest stemmed from what was happening at the time she began looking at this, which is in the early 90s, right around the first anthrax scare. Mm. That was when people were using antibiotics indiscriminately to control their fear of, of uh, exposure to anthrax. Right. And she said, well, wait a minute, because she was one of the scientists who was brought in by the U.S. government to, to report about this. And, and she said, no, wait a minute, because these bacteria that we're killing off, maybe it's not such a good idea. Maybe we should be thinking about what the good things are that they do for us. And then with the ability to do easy DNA testing and genome mapping of, of fecal material, of bacteria that are in our gut, 
we're learning so much more about this than what we we ever knew. So that's the 60,000 foot view. We're now coming to the awareness that these bacteria are incredibly important. And probably without them, we couldn't survive. Right. And I think those are great points. I mean, especially when you consider uh, the plethora of literature that comes up. If you do a literature search on PubMed or even Google, for example, just even if you punch in leaky gut or intestinal permeability, which is the literature terminology, there's just tons of material that comes up um, that, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, here today. So, um, you know, one thing I like is, again, there's metagenics. What I like that they promote is the clinical side of this. Sure, you can go get a probiotic off the shelf if you're having some constipation or if you're having diarrhea or if you feel like you have leaky gut syndrome or if you feel fatigued. And all those, all those reasons are a great reason why to consider you know, supplementing with a high-quality probiotic. But the, the main thing I like about what Metagenics has is they, all, they always promote the genus, strain, and species. They want right. to be very clinical with their recommendations. Can you tell us about why that matters and yeah. a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's a good question, Dr. Wallner. Thank you. Um, probably the best metaphor to think of is a lawn. Let's say that you've got a, a patch of uh, lawn in your backyard and it's dirt. And for whatever reason, it's, it's, there's nothing growing there. Mm-hmm. So you think, you know, I don't like that. It's brown. I'd like it to be green. So you go down to the local uh, store, the, the uh, supply store, um, feed store, and just buy bird seed which is lots and lots of different types of seeds. Mm -hmm. Just sow them back there. You toss them back there. Well, what are you going to get? You're going to get everything. You're going to get, you're going to get some tall grass. You're going to get some flowers. You're going to get some short grass. You're going to all kinds of things. Right. If what you want instead is a lawn that you can play croquet on, Mm -hmm. then you need to be specific about what you sow there. Mm. And just like you mentioned before, there's, six, there's like 100 trillion different microbes. There's probably thousands of different types of microbes, genus, yeah. species, and strain, which is how they're identified. Mm-hmm. So if you just take a random uh, probiotic from the health food store or even yogurt or pickles or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. you're getting a probiotic, a bacteria that's beneficial, probably although you don't know for certain, but you probably will be getting beneficial bacteria because ultimately that's where they came from in the first place, right? Is from our diet. Right. Um, But you don't really know what it's going to do for you. Mm -hmm. So where the literature is going, and I think you touched on it very well, that is that there's a, a, like a subset of these bacteria that are generally beneficial. Mm -hmm the things that you're going to find in yogurt. You're going to find them in buttermilk and kefir and sauerkraut and the fermented foods, kimchi and things that we're familiar with from a dietary standpoint. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, the the literature is showing that in order to get therapeutic benefit out of it, going for a specific purpose or condition, whether that be irritable bowel or C. difficile infection Mm -hmm. or um, uh, antibiotic-associated diarrhea, which is sometimes C. diff, Mm-hmm. A number of other things. You have to know the bacteria that you're giving because the therapeutic benefit that you get out of it is dictated by the bacteria. Mm-hmm. And that's found in the literature. And yeah. by literature, I mean in the scientific studies. Yeah. So if you want to control a C. diff infection, for example, yogurt may help in the sense that it'll turn your backyard green using our lawn metaphor. Mm-hmm really want is a croquet lawn, you have to use 
the very specific type of bacteria, which is identified as being beneficial to protect you against C. diff. Yeah. And you mentioned um, uh, the gut-brain connection. There's bacteria that have been identified, although they're not yet commercially available, for things like depression, anxiety, autism spectrum disorder, uh, obesity. This is really fascinating. Just yesterday, there was an article that was published in the Journal of American Medical Association Pediatrics, mm-hmm. JAMA Pediatrics, which is about as conservative as you can get, mm-hmm. raised the question that there is a link, although they said it's still not a clear link, it still needs to be elucidated, but there is a link between the maternal microbiome yes. and childhood obesity. Mm-hmm. So that the the bacteria that live in the in the mother's GI tract and in mm-hmm. the mother's birth canal mm-hmm. an influence on whether or not her baby gets with o- <clears throat> obesity as it after it's born and as it grows. So wow. that's there, you know to to look at it from that perspective. That's absolutely yeah. fascinating that a conservative journal like JAMA Pediatrics mm-hmm. would attention to the interconnectedness between the microbiome and our long term health. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, th- thank you for mentioning that research. Uh, one thing I believe that I've talked about on the podcast here before and some of the you know webinars that our patients may have seen is just that how I believe there is a link established between the mother and the child in terms of the insulin in terms of the hormone functions. So I would definitely yeah. see how they could draw the relationship between a microbiome and developing or any kind of diabetic context, you know, later on uh, post delivery and things like that. I want to go back to what you said though about the commercial availability, and then tie this into Lactobacillus salivarius UC right. 8 because that's actually a great connection. It's my understanding. I mean, when you look at salivarius alone, uh, we'll touch on some of those things in terms of leaky gut and the epithelial cells and how it, it's able to really heal leaky gut and get into the diversification of the gut as well. But salivarius, was it commercially available years ago? And then uh, the sourcing or the, the ability to culture it, yeah. its commercial availability was com- or compromised or something like that. But now it's back. Tell us more yes. about that. That's right. Well, we, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I, I w- have worked for Metagenics for a number of years. And about five years ago or four years ago, we, we brought to market a product that was the L-salivarius or lactobacillus salivaries ucc118 a specific strain of bacteria that was shown to be beneficial in helping to control increased permeability in the gi tract mm-hmm. which circle back and talk about the ramifications of that in a minute mm-hmm. unfortunately the um the second batch that we got from production didn't meet our criteria the first batch which gave us about a six month supply was great but the second batch didn't. Mm-hmm. At first, we and our vendor, the, the person, the, the company that we were purchasing the raw material from, um, went back and forth about why that might be. But it became clear that it was a apparently a problem in going from a small batch, which was the first batch, to a larger batch, which was production. Mm-hmm. And the the uh, it just didn't meet label claim, and we couldn't mm-hmm. break marketplace. Our QA process wouldn't allow us to to market it because it wasn't uh, close to label claim. And unfortunately, it wasn't something like, well, you just put a little bit more in. That that happens all the time to meet label claim. But what we had, this would have been a whole bottle to meet the claim of one tablet or one capsule. Mm -hmm. We went back to the people who were manufacturing it for us and said that when you can supply us 
with three consecutive batches that are production level batches that are the, the large two-year supply batches that meet the label claim for stability over time, then we'll bring it back to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. It's taken them about two years to be able to do that because it, it, they, they don't just grow overnight. They grow and then they, we have to monitor them over time mm-hmm. to, that they maintain stability. So it's really a function of stability and label claim. Right. It's right. available again, and we just launched it um, uh, last year. Yeah, and that's a great point too. The stability, the ability, if you will, to package this up. You know, there's there's a little bit of a uh, manufacturing finesse, if you will, because, and I want to just draw this point uh, real quick as well before we get talking to more about Salivarius, but... Um, there's a lot of different microbes out there, as you've, as you've mentioned, right? Not every one of those microbes are we able to culture, if you will, and put in a little capsule or put in a powder. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's absolutely right. So when you search in the literature for, um, I mentioned the Journal of Pediatrics Journal a, minute, a little bit ago, it may say that this bacteria um, in, in one of the studies that's cited there is associated with that. But mm-hmm particular bacteria may not be commercially available. Right, right. So I want to draw one uh, brief chiropractic connection. So I help a lot of people with their low back pain, obviously, as a doctor of chiropractic. Every now and then, it's not actually their spine that's causing the low back pain. It's actually viscerosomatic referral from a kidney stone. So the the development of calcium oxalate stones, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the microorganisms that's been shown to decrease the deposition, if you will, or the formation of those calcium stones is, let's see if I can say this, right? Because all these names. Oxalobacter formigens. Not, not sure if you are familiar with that one specifically, but... Actually, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's a very... Right. But to illustrate my point, that's actually not a, an organism that you can culture in terms of uh, from a manufacturing perspective. So then the clinical question becomes, okay, what can we do from a diet and lifestyle and a supplemental probiotic perspective to encourage the gut to diversify and increase its volume of O-formagens, if you will. That's a really, really important point. And I think it goes to something that we actually haven't touched on yet, but Mm -hmm. I think an important component to consider. And that's probably a discussion for another time, but it's it's what are called prebiotics, which is the food that these bacteria eat. These are non-digestible fibers. They're Mm -hmm. things we can't digest, but can be digested by the bacteria that live in our gut. And we can eat those foods that contain those fibers. Mm-hmm. And those, those agents, um, which are, as I said, are called prebiotics, go to feed the friendly bacteria. So even though we might not be able to make commercially available a particular bacterium, we may be able to enhance its growth with the right type of a prebiotic. Excellent. Yep. That's exactly the model that I've seen and heard. And I think it's really good results clinically, especially, again, from a functional medicine, from a lifestyle nutritional medicine perspective, you have all all these people who have taken several rounds of antibiotics and they've really decreased their fortitude, if you will, of their microbiome. And it's just so important to look at this and consider it clinically. Let's actually talk about salivarius specifically. I'd like you to touch on how it helps in terms of healing the tight junctions, the uh, intestinal epithelial cells, and then Tell us a little bit more about bacteriosins, because I think not a lot of people have heard of that or understand what that is. Well, I'll address the second part first. Bacteriosins are agents that some but not all bacteria produce. Mm-hmm. 
And what they are is chemicals that these bacteria generate as part of their life cycle, which either protect them or support their ability to grow in a particular environment or suppress the growth of other bacteria, which then allows these bacteria to grow. So they're part of the, the bacteria's defense mechanism, if you will. And as I said, not all bacteria produce bacteriocins. And, um, and the, the fact that it's a plural term, bacteriocins, implies that there's lots of different things that are considered to be bacteriocins. So the point here is um, that these bacteria work by specific mechanisms. And if we understand what those mechanisms are, then that gives us a, a better ability to monitor the progress of the treatment and also make sure that we're using the right bacteria for the right purpose. So if you, in other words, if you don't know how it works, you're just kind of saying, well, you know, best I can see, you give it to people and it helps. We don't really know why. Right. But one of the things in biochemistry, one of the things in, in pharmacology, actually, and in nutrition is to try and figure out what is the mechanism. Mm. Why does vitamin C help connective tissue? You know, what exactly is the biochemical pathway that garlic fits in to help to control cholesterol? And if you can understand that, then you can say, mm. okay. Now I see how it works. And that's where these bacteriocins come in. And L. salivarius UCC118 has been shown specifically to produce bacteriocins that help to control the spread of infectious agents in the body, presumably through having an influence on the tight junctions. And in, in this particular instance, the way that we know that is in an animal study, three different groups of animals were exposed to listeria. Mm -hmm. which is a type of an invasive uh, infectious condition. And the, the, the animals, the, these were lab mice. The, the mice that had no treatment, they were the controls, showed a concentration of listeria throughout their, their abdomen. The mice that had the UCC118 as a pre-dose did not. There was, no, <clears throat> there was no listeria infection at all. So in other words, it protected them against this invasive organism. And then there was a third group that was given the UCC118, but that had the bacteriocins knocked out of it. Mm -hmm. It's a particular bacteria that they had, they had mutated, so it did not produce this particular bacteriocin. Mm -hmm. And that one, because what they're trying to do is to say, all right, is it the bacteriocin that's giving the, the protection, or is it something else in UCC118? Okay. <clears throat> and what they found is that these this third group of mice that had that were the knockout mice for the uh, bacteriocin got the listeria infection. So that's a reliable test to show that the UCC one one eight and specifically the bacteriocins in it were at least part of the mechanism that helped to control listeria. Mm -hmm. And then there was another study that was done. Uh, this is on human cell lines. Um, in other words, they would take a sample of human cells grow them in a test tube, and then test them for particular purposes. And in this case, these were abdominal, they're called CACO2 cells, which are traditionally used to test the function of, of gastrointestinal um, activity. Mm -hmm. What they found is that if you, uh, that the, the, well, let me, let me take a side joint here, side joint here if I would, if I could. The tight junctions, which are the, connection between cells that line your, your lower GI tract, 
used to be believed, the best description that I read was by a Dr. Alessio Fasano now at Harvard, where he said when he was in med school, he was taught that the tight junctions were like tile. And the, I'm sorry, the cells lining the GI tract were like tile and tight junctions were the grout in between. So the purpose of that is to seal the joint in between these two cells. Mm -hmm. And these are adjoining cells that line the GI tract. Mm -hmm. The reason that's important is because you don't want anything sneaking past the normal digestive mechanisms, which allow facilitated absorption of, of digested food. Because there's bacteria that live there, you want to keep that out. Right. So for years, it was believed that these tight junctions were static, which means that they, they would form, <clears throat> they would connect, and they would just stay that way throughout mm-hmm. of that cell. And mm-hmm. if they broke down, then that was a pathological condition, which allowed um, potentially harmful agents to get into the bloodstream. Well, <clears throat> what Fasano and others on his team discovered is that in actual fact, these tight junctions are not static, they're dynamic. Mm-hmm. means that the proteins that make up this this interface, there are proteins that, that are produced by each cell lining this GI tract, and that mm-hmm. those, those proteins protrude from the side of the cell and interlace with their counterparts in the other cell. Mm-hmm. And when they interlace, that makes a positive connection. It's not just that the two cells are mushed together. Mm-hmm. There's a positive connection that holds them together actively. Well, these proteins um, fluoresce, which means they shine under a fluorescent light in a laboratory, um, in, a, in a test tube. So they took three different uh, or four different cell lines, types of, of proteins that they were fluorescing for. And they showed what they looked like at normal. And you could see the nice outline of the, the cells and where the proteins are fluorescing, meaning they're, they're glowing. It showed that they were intact and that they were holding the cells together nicely. Then they exposed the cells to hydrogen peroxide, which is a chemical that causes disruption and destruction of these proteins. Mm-hmm. Proteins were degraded. They, they then were, they, they basically were dissolved. And, the, and you could see that there was no tight junctions anymore. The cells, the borders of the cells were diffuse and not clear. But then they pretreated them with the UCC-118 and then gave them hydrogen peroxide, and again, it protected the cells. So now we have two different mechanisms which have been demonstrated to help to protect these cells from degrading. One of them is the protection against oxidative stress, which is uh, the hydrogen peroxide test. Mm-hmm. The other one is through bactericides. Now, the research that those two studies demonstrate, in my opinion, although it didn't explicitly say this, in my humble opinion, or my reading of the literature, I think that the mechanism is probably two different ways of looking at the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's an inflammatory process that happens in the gut that causes these proteins to become degraded or to become the product, actually probably technically correct to say that the production of these proteins becomes suppressed. And when that happens, then the proteins kind of unravel, kind of like tearing Velcro apart. Mm-hmm. They're Velcro, they hold together, but if you pull them apart, then uh, the cells, the, the, yeah, the junction between the cells become permeable. So um, these, both of those two mechanisms, the inflammation, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, hydrogen peroxide and the listeria yeah. are inflammatory. And mm-hmm. so I think that the, the actual underlying trigger to these both is inflammation. Mm-hmm. And there's other 
companies that, that support that as well. So that's kind of my own take on it. That's incredible. I was familiar with the one study with hydrogen peroxide. I was not familiar with the other study with listeria. That's, that's just remarkable. And, you know, this is why I wanted to talk about UCC 118 L salivarius because it really is quite unique and very specific. I mean, if you've looked at other, you know, side of your probiotic bottle or whatever, you know, a lot of it's very repetitive between, you know, yeah. different companies or different manufacturers, but UCC 118 salivarius, it's very specific and it has very researched functions here. Let me just remark on a few others specific to UCC 118, but also just having a well-balanced microbiome, reducing anxiety by acting on specific receptors of the gut-brain axis, increasing the production and utilization of butyrates, which again, we could really go down several different avenues here. We don't have all the time to do that today. Uh, and then also regulating immune system function. And to kind of round out our conversation here, Bill, I always, you know, my dad always told me what can be measured can be controlled. So I like to start with the baseline. So one of the things that we're offering our patients here is a microbiome stool test. For, so for the patients who are willing to go there with the stool test, what we have them do is actually take a sample of their stool, send it into a lab, and as a complimentary, no charge, no cost to the patient type thing, we can sequence those microbiomes and look at their diversification or lack of diversification. I've done my own test. I need to up my lactobacillus because I'm low there myself. So you know, is that something that's promoted in the functional medicine world is doing those testings? Actually, it is. Um, yeah. I alluded to this earlier when I, I mentioned that um, with uh, new technology, we're able to measure DNA much, much more rapidly and easily than we did, and inexpensively than ever was able to before. Mm-hmm. Previously, previously to the technology that was originally developed during the human um, genome and then the human microbiome project, the only way to test for GI bacteria was to do a stool evaluation, which meant that you would collect a stool sample and then see what you could culture. Well, here's the problem. These bacteria don't grow in oxygen. They're anaerobes. Right. And so that meant that that you would get a lot of false negatives because the results would come back and say, well, you're negative for L. acidophilus. Well, that's because it doesn't grow in oxygen. Mm -hmm. To really know what you're doing, and only a few labs were able to do that, it was very, very uh, likely that you would get false positives. And very few labs were really um, able to measure them accurately. Well, with the new technology now, uh, we can inexpensively, we, I mean, the, the lab people can inexpensively and reliably measure the DNA. So they're not trying to culture it. They're measuring the DNA. And that can be done even on a cell that's died. Wow. Right. So that allows a much, much easier, inexpensive, and rapid way of assessing what's going on in the GI tract. And that's Mm -hmm. why there's been this explosion of interest. You mentioned before, you can't do a Google Scholar search for microbiome. the number of hits you get. They're in the tens of thousands. Right. Yeah. Back to your initial question. (laughs) Yes, I think that that's a really interesting and and, uh, would be a valuable test. Of course, it's not something that we know enough about to say, well, this bacteria is too low and therefore we need to take more of it necessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, it may be true. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like looking at a forest and saying, well, it's got oak trees, maple, ash, it's got some elm trees. I think there's not enough maple trees, so I'm going to grow more maple trees. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not, right? You mm-hmm. don't really know. Uh, we don't have enough data yet 
about the human microbiome to be able to reliably draw the conclusion that this specific bacteria or that, uh, whether it be friendly or unfriendly, is too high or too low just yet. We're still, we're still collecting data, which I suspect is why this lab that you were describing right. is gathering as much information as they can to establish a kind of a foundational database. Yep, that's exactly what they're doing. And again, the whole purpose with this is just to elevate the profession to be able to serve more people with clinical knowledge and information, which I thank you, Bill, for providing to our listeners here today. We can do so much as chiropractors. We can further that structural care with lifestyle nutritional medicine. And I think there's so much that we can learn from in terms of the microbiome that can help improve our functional health. So if you're struggling with energy, if you're struggling with anxiety, depression, uh, leaky gut, loading, digestion, there's all these lifestyle applications that can benefit from taking a look at your microbiome and really figuring this out. So that is available to you. If yeah, you I couldn't agree more. And I have a, a quick aside for you. I am such a nerd. I, I love this stuff. I, th- I find this absolutely fascinating. And I can tell from our conversation that you do as well. And from when we first met, uh, I got that, that uh, message pretty clearly. As a kid growing up, did you ever see yourself being so interested in a topic like this, bacteria that live in the GI tract, that you'd find it to be fascinating? Probably I, I, not. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me. Yeah. <laughs> Gotcha. Well, hey, thanks so much, Bill. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, we may have to have you on the platform to discuss I'd more to. about prebiotics or some other functional health uh, topics. So thanks again. I really appreciate your time. It's a pleasure, Dr. Walter. Thank you. All right, families, what'd you think? We'd love to get your feedback. If you would like to email me about anything you've heard on this or any previous edition of the Family Wellness Lifestyle Podcast, you may do so by writing Dr. Kyle at michiganfamilywellness.com and take full advantage of the Family Lifestyle Audio Library at michiganfamilywellness.com. Connect with us on social media at Michigan Family Wellness. Thanks so much for tuning in, families. Have an awesome week. And remember, we can do far more together than we could ever do apart. Now that you've been equipped with the latest in family wellness solutions, we want to encourage you to apply these strategies right away. But the thing is, there's still so much to learn. Connect with Dr. Walner's chiropractic and nutrition office by going to michiganfamilywellness.com and click the newsletter sign-up button to join the informative and supportive community of chiropractic wellness. You will also receive as a gift from Dr. Walner a copy of Michigan Family Wellness Solutions, an invaluable resource containing dynamic tools to elevate family health and vitality. Michigan Family Wellness wants to thank you for being part of today's podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review. 